So thank you, uh, Tommy Gainer. Uh, we have Tommy Gainer here today on the Lift Your Shot podcast. Um, he's, he's, he's come with a wealth of experience in terms of both running his shops as well as selling his shops I and mean, kind of taking on a new position that he's going to go into and dig a little bit deeper. Um, so Tommy, thank you so much for being on with us today. Yeah, um, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing with the listeners and the viewers um, kind of a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, where you're located, how you kind of sure. got started in this industry. Yeah. Uh, interesting start. Um, so I'm uh, 46 years old, just turned 46. I'm in Vancouver, Washington, just across the river from Portland, Oregon in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, my father uh, started our business in 1986, uh, single location, and uh, grew up as a normal child in the business. I was around i was always you know cleaning and painting and uh just on the facilities my dad really never wanted me to work on cars uh so graduated high school went to boise state university and played football uh, my freshman year hated college football so i transferred to uh, washington state university and finished up there and it took me four and a half years to graduate so came home about christmas time and uh, I had been accepted at Oregon Health Science University in their physician's assistant program. And I was going to go into that. And that didn't start until August. So I had about eight months to kill. So I was living with my parents, hanging out. And my, my dad had, uh, had an assistant manager quit. They had two stores at the time. And he was talking to my mom. We were at dinner. And I was just, I could kind of see where this conversation was going. And I was avoiding that. I'm like, Okay. not involved and uh my mom pulled me aside afterwards and said hey your dad had an assistant manager quit he could really use some help would you go help with the shop and i'm like no i, I hate going to shops and uh she asked me i'm like okay so i told my dad I'm like here's the deal i'll come and help you you have me until fourth of july at fourth of july i want a month to go water ski and wakeboard and hang out uh, before i go to school and uh, started doing that and I loved it. So never left. So wow. fast forward from there, we grew it, uh, started with two stores when I started and, uh, ended up with five, um, 40, 38 to 40 people, depending on the season, we, you know, rotate a couple of guys, uh, in the summer, add a couple extra guys and, uh, in a little busier times, but, uh, 40 people, uh, a little over 11 million revenue. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah. where, where are all, all the shops located? We're all in the city, like in the, not city limits, all Vancouver city addresses. Some are in what we call Clark County, but yeah, all, they're all pretty dense um, where they're at. Like the farthest distance between two stores is about 12 miles and the closest is about three miles. Okay. Yeah. So, and then when, so the last, the fifth store, when was the last, the last store created? July of 19. July of 19. Okay. Yeah. And that was honestly the one before that was in 08. So it, and the July 19 was all, and we were ready like pre COVID. We had put together a pretty good war chest to go buy, uh, to go buy some shops. Oh. You know, we really wanted to, to grow and, uh, which was super fortunate timing for us uh, that we had a bunch of money put aside. COVID wasn't terrible for us. It actually, it made us become better operators. It really made us dive deep into expenses. 
Um, it really only slowed us down for about six or eight weeks. Um, but we really dove into expenses and cut out some fat and uh, made better operators. So that, uh, like say, July 19, pre-COVID there, uh, that fifth location was interesting. It was uh, our transmission builder that we used. It was a transmission shop that had been around for like four years. He called me up and said, hey, do you want to come buy some equipment? What do you mean? He said, uh, well, I'm going to retire. I'm like, whoa, whoa, who's going to build our transmissions? Like, you can't retire, right? You can't, can't have you going away. So he, uh, he, I said, well, let me come over and take a peek. So I came over and I kind of looked around. I'd been in the shop for a while. It's a pretty nice shop. He had a few guys working for him. I was like, well, what about all these guys? He's like, oh, I don't know. I said, well, how about I just buy everything and I'll release your building? So we put a deal together and uh, I acquired that shop. So it's a great shot. And it's actually worked out really nice for us because we were, you, you know, that's who was building all of our transmissions. And obviously we've tried to grow the wholesale business a little bit also. So it's, it's a, it's a good store now. Awesome. Awesome. That's super yeah. So that kind of leads us analogous to where we're getting pretty close to present time. So we're, yeah. and I know, I know the story shifts a little bit. So why don't you share with it the does. listeners uh, kind of what kind of took place from then and we'll go. Sure. From there. So um, I'm not sure if you're familiar or not with uh, bottom line impact groups, uh, John Loeffler, um, no, that's now owned by Cecil Bullard. It's a 20 group, um, a group of 20 groups. Uh, they were founded in the Seattle area. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, I've been involved with it for a long time and uh, became close to some of the other guys in the group. And one of my good friends, uh, Chris, his family had nine stores in the Phoenix area. Okay. And they sold two years ago to uh, Greenbrier, which has now been acquired by Leonard Green Partners, which is Sun Auto Group. Okay. Um, so he, they had been acquired for him. He was working for them. And so last March, I was in Phoenix and went and met him and we went out and had dinner. And he said uh, he had just been promoted to their um, vice president of business development. And I said, hmm, that's cool. And he said, you know, I just want to let you know, he said, we've identified the Pacific Northwest as our next market. And so I wasn't really sure if he was being like threatening, like I'm going to go there and kick your ass. Or if he was like, uh, hey, there might, and that was not the case. He, he said, uh, there is uh, some opportunity. We're going to try to buy some shops up there. He's like, you should let me take a look at your shops. And he had seen our uh, financials because we've been in 20 group, we exchanged financials. He's pretty sharp guy. So I uh, said, sure, let's take a peek. So we started going through the process. And again, I, I sat down with my business coach, uh, Jim Murphy, and uh, our attorney and the CPA. And they all said, uh, hey, this is a, a good exercise for you to go through. So I went through the exercise and uh, got evaluation and just really wanted to see what this looked like. So if I did want to sell this in the future, um, I would kind of know what it looked like. And I told her, I was very transparent up front that it's probably the time for me. And the deal just kept getting better, not only financially, but like tax structure and just the way some of the deal happened. So uh, we got to the 11th hour and I sat down with uh, our attorney and uh, CPA. They said, it's time. This is a 
I'm not gonna say it's a once a lifetime deal, but this is a very good deal. So we uh, we sold. So we sold to uh, Sun Auto and Tire. Um, they now have 360 stores um, in about 20 states. So we're part of that network. I initially became the Northwest market director. At the real similar time they closed on us, they closed on an eight-store group and a three-store group in Seattle, Washington, about two and a half hours north of us. So I initially started um, after acquisition overseeing those groups, uh, ours and the ones in Seattle, and uh, with the intention of moving into the business development side, mergers and acquisitions. So I'm now the number two on the M&A team. Uh, behind Chris, who is a friend of mine from a long time ago from 20 Groups. That's super cool. Get to work with my friend and uh, travel around the country and buy shops. That's super cool. It's a super interesting story. And so, yeah, I know, I know, I mean, everyone is in different phases currently with, within their shop. There's like, maybe some are just starting, some are just oh, sure. right. I think of things really growing, and others are yeah. in that same phase where they're like thinking about is it the right time to sell? how do I go about doing this? And so if you were to give those, those people advice, what would it be in terms of knowing when to sell and then the, pro the process of what that kind of entails? Yeah, absolutely. So knowing when to sell, I mean, that's a, it's obviously a very personal choice, yep. right? Um, it's, it's tough right now. Um, talent, super hard to acquire good, technical talent, good sales talent, uh, the technology in the store, you know, to, to fix, uh, to fix the cars as well as point of sale systems and digital marketing, digital inspection. And, um, in the last five years, it's made some huge moves and it's not going to slow down. So I see a lot of the guys that uh, I'm engaging at this point are, um, I look at him, I see my dad, 71 years old, um, you know, in the, in the 70s or 80s, they were really good technicians and said, I can do this better. And went out and started their own company. Um, I, I would definitely say it's important to identify what that exit strategy looks like. It, it, again, even if it is a, uh, if you are maybe in your 50s and you know it's not going to be for 10 years, but what's that roadway or that path look like? Is it uh, a child? Is it a key employee? Or is it uh, someone like me uh, uh, or another shop owner? But identifying what that pathway looks like is, is very important. Um, and I see a lot of guys that I end up, they don't, they don't have that, that plan. And it's, it's, uh, it's almost sad, I guess, on a certain level, they just don't have that plan. They, you know, some of these guys have gotten to that 70 plus year old and they don't know where to go. Um, a lot of times it seems like with children and with uh, um, the key employee situation, the, the owner becomes the bank and they're going to carry the note, you know, they're going to hold paper for 10 to 20 years. So, um, but again, I, I, I I don't, especially with children and family and, and even that long-term key employee, um, if, if they're in a financial position to do it, it's rewarding to see that go on to children or go on to a, a key employee. Absolutely. And yeah, 
I love, I love how you say just, just making the plan. And so I guess what, yeah. what, what would you be, I mean, what would be your recommendation in terms of where, like, where should they look to then start making a plan? Is it, is it something that they're, they're speaking with maybe their family member, like maybe their, their spouse or whomever that may be? Is it, is it reaching out to a CPA and an attorney for that or what would be your suggestions? All the above. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I definitely think, uh, I always believe in no matter what I'm doing, running the clock backwards. Hmm. Right. So, um, there's a great book, you know, start with the end in mind. Right. So what is the end? If you, if you say, I want to be done at 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever that landmark is, run that clock backwards. Mm -hmm. So you have five years, 10 years, whatever that number is, and then start that process. I've, I've heard of guys that have identified a child or a key employee and started that plan backwards that started a, uh, a whole life insurance policy in their name that helped fund a large down payment because they had a 10 year runway. Mm -hmm. So they could start, uh, could fund a large down payment to help that key employer child put a downstroke on the business. You know, kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Um, you can do the same thing with uh, um, a, an investment, you know, an investment plan. We've done that. Uh, we did that before. We did that with our controller. We had a, uh, I guess what I referred to as gold handcuffs, where we uh, established a retirement date for her. We didn't want to leave, right? So <laughs> uh, we established a retirement date and ran it backwards. It was about 10 years out. So we started funding like aggressively a private uh, retirement account that we owned as the company. Mm -hmm. She got to call the shots on the investments. And at 10 years, it was 100% hers, above and beyond her normal IRA. If she didn't, it was based on a percentage of our net profits. Mm -hmm. If she didn't make it, she clearly got fired. It was ours. And I looked at it as like, that was a nice chunk of change to go out and recruit the right controller to help financially run our business. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but I think that, you know, as far as you can get ahead of it, a hundred percent, I, I very rarely see guys that are selling shops be happy with the results of using a broker. I'm not saying ever, I'm just saying the, the knowledge I've seen, um, the broker doesn't get paid unless they sell a shop. Yep. So their deal is to you know, price it cheap and move it fast. Price it cheap, move it fast. So um, I don't want to say that the sellers maybe don't get the best representation, but there's definitely a financial motive to the broker to move the shop. Hmm, absolutely. So um, yeah, so that's where I guess like uh, you know uh, a group like Sun is a little different. Um, we're going to come in. We're going to look at you know your financials. We're going to um, Look at bank statements and tax returns and make sure all those things make sense uh, together. And we're going to give you a price and you're going to get almost all your money at the day of close. They're not holding paper. There's some, some escrow money put aside for uh, reps and warranties uh, for 18 to 24 months. And then that all comes back to you. So it's a really straightforward, clean transaction. Um, there's opportunity if it, you know, and, and like myself and, and probably 25% of the sellers, they're not done working. 
they may not want to own a business anymore or that kind of business, but they don't want the day-to-day or the, I guess, the after hours of what's all involved in, in owning and operating a business. So they stay on at work. Okay. No, that's yeah. Yeah. information. And I, I loved how, I mean, you went into a little bit of like one, one of the options is, is like that key employee that's been there. Oh, yeah. And everyone has that dream of like every employee they find is like that key employee. And right. I think that it really resonates with people because everyone is looking for people like they're like i want to grow and i I think we're growing but we don't have the help and i i can't find any help so if you have if right now i mean i mean i know you have extensive experience in in a a bunch of different hiring processes when you're running your shop so what is your process for finding the right people vetting them out and keeping them on board wow okay uh we'll break break it up into like the beginning yeah no, that's fine. Okay, so let's just talk about like talent acquisition. Yeah. And that seems to be the hardest right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so acquisition, um, I'll talk about some things that I've done that I, I feel have helped. In any ad I write or post, I give them, uh, I put in there, please call or text. I really think that in today's society, it's a lot less personal and a lot less, I guess, uh, committed to just text. Hey, this is Joe. Saw your ad. Um, do you guys offer healthcare? Which I said I did my ad, but yeah, sure. You know, I mean, things like that. But they're able to ask questions and kind of dip their toe in without trying to schedule a formal interview. So I almost always. Um, I always do give them the ability to text, but I can tell you, like with us, I have, I, you can go through my phone. I bet I have 12 or 15 different perspective tech, perspective advisor, perspective manager, mm-hmm. and their name in there. And they might be working in a shop and we may not have a spot for them right now. They may have saw an ad text. I save their info, but I try to every few months, just kind of give that touch. Just Hey, how are you? How's things going? Are you still at the Ford dealership? You still at this shop? How's it going? Just so when it's time, I got some guys on the bench. Like you need, again, so let's go back to planning, right? We talked about transitional planning. Um, you you have to have a recruiting plan. You have to always be recruiting. I don't care if you're one shop or if you're 15 shops, you always have to be recruiting. That doesn't mean you're always hiring. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between recruiting and hiring. So making sure your name's out there, making sure you're writing ads that talk about what you can do for the new team member, not what they have to, must have own tools, must have clean drivers, must, must, must. I mean, it's 2022. This is a employee's market. So you have to sell them mm-hmm. on what, what you can do for their life. How are you going to benefit them? And then at the end of the day, uh, you got to have good pay and good benefits. Um, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's easy, but if it's done right with a system consistently, it works. It's what I see a lot is, oh God, we had a guy quit and we got to fire this guy. Now we need two guys tomorrow and people make these desperation hires and just put a body. There. Mm-hmm. So 
I guess I will stop myself real quick and say this also. I've seen the flip side where some guys try to go through two or three interviews and go to dinner and I want them to meet the whole team. And I guess that's great in the, in, in the right world, but it's so competitive right now. I really feel that you need to be able to have an initial phone call, which I make that my first interview, which is an initial phone call. I try to get the guy from text to phone, mm-hmm. have an initial phone call. It's usually 15 to 30 minutes and then schedule an interview. And you should be able to, you should be ready to offer him a job in the interview. I say he could be a she, but them a, a job in their, in the interview, because if you don't and they get in front of me, I will. Yeah. That's awesome. Being, being, it goes back to where you're saying just be planned and prepared. So then in terms of like keeping that bench, is that bench form just from the initial opening? Like there was a job opening and people applied and now a few of the others didn't. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Could be. I think that's where we get the most, you know, when we have job postings, but always, you know, we have careers page on our website that talks about the different positions, uh, what they do, their responsibilities, who they interact with, uh, how that works. And then uh, a page about who we are and what we do. And again, like I said, what we can do for a new team member, Um, as well as we really work hard on, we have, Fortunately, we have some really nice stores. Mm-hmm. So um, we've worked with our vendors to host uh, technician trainings. So we get techs, other techs in our stores. They're like, wow, this place is really nice. It's clean and nice lighting and good equipment. Shoot. So I make sure that our manager, our general manager, myself was there to, you know, put business cards in their hands and oh. say, hey, you want to come to a place like this? Uh, uh, it's, it's a pretty good place. Work, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, uh, All right. So, um, slightly interrupted, but we're, we're going to start off again in, in terms of now creating a culture at the shop that people want to be at. So that way, you don't have to work as hard for that, that recruiting process. How do you do that? Yeah. So, um, that is the secret sauce. I always feel is, uh, is yeah. the culture. That's when, and you can, I shouldn't say you, I, I feel like I can tell, like I've been in shops literally my whole life. Mm-hmm. I grew up in them. Uh, and now my adult career, I've worked in shops my whole life. I've been involved in 20 groups. So I've gone to visit other shops. And I'm literally, literally at a point in my life or career, I can walk into a store and in about five minutes, I can give you a really good idea what the culture's like. I really can. So is there a pride and ownership? Is there camaraderie and teamwork? Um, what's that look like? Uh, to create that culture. I mean, it's like most things, it starts top down. That's a for sure a top down. And I believe it absolutely positively, without a doubt, starts with appreciation. Um, uh, one of my... Uh, old coaches that I worked with for a long time would say, uh, you have to raise the attitude with gratitude. So making sure people know and understand they're appreciated. It's, and you can't put a price on it. It is huge. Um, because as an owner or manager, you're going to come to a lot of those people with an ask. Hey, can I talk to you and stay like a half hour late? 
Miss Jones got to come down and pick her car up. Could you do that? Yeah, no problem. When they're appreciated. Yeah. Right. All those things. And, and it's those things that make the difference to the customer. Right. And so when the customer's happy, they tell more people. Mm-hmm. When the staff's happy, really good technicians travel in the same circles. I mean, I'm absolutely convinced of that. Same with service advisors. They like they're they're friends with other service advisors. They work to other shops. They have a, most of them when they get to an established point in their career have a pretty good network. And it's one of the best things I've always done is when we have that need for that for that team member, I'll go if it's techs or advisors, whatever it is, I'll go to them and they know the spiel. Hey guys, we need a tech at you know this store, um, and I was telling them. I would way rather pay you than pay Indeed or someone like that. So you bring me a tech, they make it 90 days, I put 500 bucks in your pocket. I would way rather pay them, pay my guy than pay Indeed. And there's a really good chance they know the guy's not an asshole, right? I mean, they've worked with him. If they're going to vouch for him, they know he's probably not a hack. He's probably a decent guy to work with. So they've helped my interview process tremendously. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, Awesome. Just kind of internal camaraderie yeah. and just using them to. Yeah. So I, I used to, um, like I, I think I told you earlier, I came from a pretty competitive sports background. As you can see the picture behind me, I drive a race car. Awesome. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm, I've always been a pretty competitive person and really young in my career. Uh, that wasn't a good thing. I was. I was the guy that went around that would tell you all the things that are wrong. Do this better. We need this average RO. GP's low. Shop's a mess. Why'd you leave that bolt loose? I was that guy, like taskmaster, right? And I was probably not a very fun guy to work with or for. Um, I've matured <laughs> and realized that, uh, that that doesn't work. You know, there's some old, uh, it doesn't work well long term. Uh, it doesn't make people excited. Um, I had a really, really good mentor of mine that he, he gave me a challenge. He watched me, he came to work. This guy owned 20 some dealerships. He's still one of my biggest mentors today. And he came to, to work and just observed me for a day. We went out, had a beer that night, sat down. And I was like, Oh, what do you think, man? We're good. Like I was getting some stuff done. He's like, you're an asshole. You are. You're not very nice to me. I was crushed. This guy, I looked up to this guy. He said, Here's what you're going to do. He said, I want you to take five nickels and I want you to put them in your left pocket tomorrow morning before you go to work. And every time you walk by and you tell someone you appreciate what they're doing, they did a great job, you give them a real uplifting, positive compliment, you move one of those nickels to your right pocket. Before you go home for the night, you need to have all the nickels in your right pocket. Do that until you don't have to use the nickels. Mm-hmm. Changed my life. It changed my life. Yeah. Because now I was looking for ways to celebrate people. I was looking for ways to lift people up. And now, jokingly, my old general manager, who's our, our current district manager here for Sun, he calls me the 240-pound cheerleader. Because literally that became like my whole goal is how can I celebrate people? So now we have, you know, we have a whole awards group of awards we give out every year for a million dollars in sales by service advisors. 
you know, so like we have multiple service providers that sell over a million a year. Wow. We have individual guys. We have technicians that flag. We had, I think, seven this year, eight technicians that flagged over 3,000 hours production this year. Um, we give a, a, an award, a, give a couple of them away a year called the ACE Award for Attitude, Commitment, and Effort. It may not be the best or most skilled tech. It may not be the best service advisor, but this is a guy that's got the best attitude. He's super committed and he's trying, right? Mm -hmm. So he gets his ACE Award. Um, yeah, so it's really fun. We give away a really big prize uh, for 20 years of service. Um, we do a drawing, our Christmas party for uh, uh, one of the drawings we do is for we'll pay your mortgage for a month. Wow. You know, so we make it to where people want to be here. Mm -hmm. Like they, they, these, this is their friends. Yeah. So then, which is even better about, you know, that's when you get that retention period um, or point is when you get that really frustrating situation or they get that other shop that comes like, Hey, I'll give you five bucks more an hour to try and recruit my guy. Yeah. No way. He's not leaving. Why would he leave? Cause they are all his friends leaving all this fun. Yeah. No way. Yeah. We have, uh, we do at all of our stores. We do what we call an image contest. It's coming up here actually next month. Uh, and so we tour all the stores with a district manager identify some things like hey we need to like paint this area you know you guys are letting some old equipment pile up over here the hoist need to be wiped down whatever it is right mm -hmm. identify a list you got one month and then the winner at the month gets a new grill so every one of our stores has a grill but they get a new grill for the spring and summer season and these guys barbecue like two or three days a week together for lunch so yeah, yeah just stuff like that we have going all the time it's, it keeps it fun yeah, no, that's that's awesome, and I I can easily see why people wouldn't want to leave. I mean, right? And they probably, they would want to bring their friends with them. They tell them all, all about one hundred percent. They hear all these things, and yeah. uh, yeah, it's I've I've heard the story several times from different tool truck drivers that, man, you won't believe this. I got a guy over at this other independent shop. He's wearing one of your hats, <laughs> right? I mean, just stuff like that. But, yeah. So, no, yeah, awesome. it's good. That's awesome. Well, thank you. That, that, and I love the, the nickel thing. I think that's that's something that I it, would love to be able to consistently share with more people as well. Where it fixed me. Like, <laughs> it's just, and, and I think. Oh well, I mean, currently, sort of, what I, our our business is very virtual, and so it's 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 a, it's a lot harder to have that consistent touch point comparative to a shop. But I mean, there's always ways to improve and consistently um, appreciate your team members, even virtually. Yeah. But especially for for shop owners, I think that could be so powerful. Where it could, make a night and day difference within the camaraderie and the feeling within the shop by just doing oh, it does. as small as that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, then in terms of now, I know right now you're doing a lot more M&A. And so with, yeah. with, with M&A and the merger and acquisition side of things, you're, you obviously, you want to find that low hanging fruit of a shop that can be attained and then fixed quickly in order to then see the profit gain. Cause that's the whole purpose. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to say no. Oh, okay. <laughs> we want to buy good shops. Okay. Oh, because, because typically that stuff that can be fixed. Yeah. They're a pretty volatile situation because usually they don't have good leadership. Mm. So if they didn't have good leadership, their people didn't feel appreciated or taken care of. And then when the, that guy sells or the team's like, why am I staying? Yeah. And then what I buy a bunch of used shop equipment. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. So, no, we really look for and will pay for that good shop. Like, I want the good culture. I want to hear the list of the 10 and 20 year employees. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know you guys have a big Christmas party every year. Like, I, that, I, when I start hearing that stuff, I'm like, yes, these are my people. Like, that's the stuff yeah. I don't want to buy fixer uppers. No, because really at the end of the day, what I'm buying is I'm buying someone's team that they put together, their policies and procedures, their equipment, and their ability to generate a certain amount of profit that's predictable. And it, I really, I think it really is, you know, a sign of a really, really well-run organization is that leader can step away and nothing changes because they have good policies and procedures that are in stone that everybody knows this is what we do. Yeah. So when that owner steps away, nothing changes. Okay. Yeah. No, I like that. So, but then I guess in terms of then, I'm sure you've seen a lot of shops and so. Oh Yeah. What what are some of those key problems that you've seen that you think can be pretty quickly fixed? So um, the, the the biggest number one consistent thing I see is uh, shops that undervalue their services. They've gotten away from really the basics of the key performance indicators, you know, obtaining a certain amount of gross profit on parts and labor to boil that down to a targeted net profit. Um, We always, you know, just for a long, long time, the the three numbers we always told our guys were if you can get 60% gross profit overall, you can keep your expenses under 40%, you're going to have a 20 plus percent net. I mean, it's it's really, I, I, I know I'm oversimplifying things, but um, so a lot of shops have got away from that or there's not a good, especially when we get some of these multiple locations where there's not good leadership and they haven't really instilled those policies and procedures. You get this guy's pricing like this over here. This guy's pricing like this over here. They're completely different. He's buying because his buddies, the counter guy at O'Reilly's. So he wants to buy it from him. Well, this guy likes this guy, at, you know, uh, AutoZone and this guy, it's a hodgepodge. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing. Um, losing focus on numbers. That's probably the biggest. Um, number two is not uh, groups that have not reinvested in their facility or have just almost kind of lost like some pride of ownership. So I, I'm, uh, you know, our I always tell our team members, like, you should be proud to have your wife or your mom come and walk through the shop. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Right? If you're not, it's an issue. Like, that's something you need to address. So, um, and I say the same thing with our repair orders. Like, you should, uh, you should be able to hand your mom a repair order from a customer's car, and she should be like, yeah, well, it says here he brought it in because there was a noise in the left front area of the car, and the technician drove it and there was a, a loose ball joint. So you remove the ball joint, you put a new one in, you didn't align it, and now it's fixed. Like your mom should be able to read, like it shouldn't be diagnose, RR ball joint alignment, $800. You know, it's, it's back to that pride of ownership again, right? Yeah. Like, do it the right way. Um, so 
but those are the two big things I see is uh, lack of focus on the, the KPIs, the key performance indicators, mm -hmm. and um, just a lack of prioritization in the facility. So what are some areas that someone should reinvest back into the business like that you'd see as like a low hanging fruit where like that it's common neglect, but is a huge positive outlook, both for the, your team as and, and customers. So um, cleanliness, cleanliness takes just usually just effort. Yep. And so I have a, a theory I use called uh, and I, any, any manager I work with, I, I work on them uh, in this whole Northwest, and even some of the other states I've been in. I call it four corners and four walls. So on every lot, there's four corners of the property. So once a day, you should walk the four corners of your property looking in on your shop. Like what would a customer see from the outside? And you got to look at it from that perspective. And I'm not saying that and some managers get overwhelmed. And I'm like, Oh, this isn't saying that you have to, you know, do all the landscaping and paint the walls. And do all that. No, 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 no. But you need to make that list. So that's getting done. And, or if you're a single shop owner, you're the owner. Like you need to walk as a, once a day, that four, the four corners of your property, looking in on, pick up the trash, do those things from what they would see and make the list and prioritize it of, wow, that tree is rubbing on cars as people drive by the spot. We got to cut that away or trim that back, whatever that situation is. So that's four corners. And then I have four walls. So inside your building is four walls. Walk every one of those walls and look, look under benches, look on top of the overhead benches, look at the hoist and all the dirt and muck around that. So, and make that priority list. Um, so cleanliness um, is Typically the easiest and least expensive. Yeah. Um, next is uh, paint. Again, you don't have to hire a professional. You can paint. You know, it's not sexy. It's not fun. But I remember we were first starting our shops. We would close down once a year. Uh, and we'd close down on a Friday night. And we'd move at about 3 or 4 o'clock. We'd move everything to one side of the building. We'd come in Saturday morning. We paint that side of the building and we push everything the other side of the building. And then Sunday morning, we paint that side of the building. On Sunday night, we come back and set it and hit the ground. And move it. And we did it it's once a year. We paint the shop. So um, it does, it's just a cost of paint, right? You can do it yourself. It just it requires some effort. And I think Pops usually buy a bunch of pizza and beer. And uh, again, if you have the right culture, it's fun. Yeah. Radio's on, you're hanging out with your buddies, you're making your workplace look better. You're getting rid of a bunch of old shit that's been sitting around on top of workbenches for a long time. And uh, it's a nicer space to work in come Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So um, that's probably the biggest low hanging fruit on, on the image side. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge uh, hate, <laughs> I use that word very rarely, but I hate banners because most banners uh, are someone else's banner. And they look good for about a week and they start getting torn and dirty and no, uh, in the right spot, a unified look, um, with your brand colors, and your logo banners can work, uh -huh. but they have a really short life cycle yeah. and most people, uh, try to triple the life cycle. So <laughs> end up looking like hell.
Yeah, no, that, that's perfect. I think it's really helpful for a lot of people to hear. Well, awesome. Um, you've shared a lot of valuable information, I believe, for a lot of people, including myself. Um, cool. I'm very appreciative for um, yeah. your, your take on, on different elements of the shop and hiring and culture and um, just investing back into simple things. Yeah. Like um, but if you had to leave every, everyone here with just an, one last tidbit of advice, uh, what, what would that be? Kelsey, you probably still want to start again. You froze up right there for a while. Oh, dang it. All right. Um, so thank I mean, Tommy, you've shared a lot of valuable information with us today. And so I'm very appreciative of yeah. the, the time that you've taken. Um, but if you had one last uh, tidbit of information you'd leave for shop owners, what would that be? Um, you're not alone. Right. And I know, especially a lot of single store operators feel like sometimes they're out on an island and they're alone. That's the majority. I mean, it's some crazy stat, like 94% of independent shops are single stores. It's crazy. There's only like 6% are multiple stores. Owners. So majority of them are single stores. And I guess to feel like you're not alone. There's some really good free um, resources in like ASA really good group um it's free that if you go into it with that i'm here to learn here to share not tell people they're wrong <laughs> attitude you can get a lot from it um and if you're ready uh i'm a big proponent in hiring a business coach i worked with one either um say uh jim murphy with elite um i think is top of the heap uh john waffler the bottom line impact group was right there with them. And we've worked with both those guys for 20 plus years and they've taught me a lot and held me accountable and made me better. So I think getting that, uh, realize you're not alone. And, and like I say, even on the, the free side, uh, some ASA groups or, um, you know, I know NAPA, NAP Auto Parts has some, some good groups, O'Reilly's, all those major parts have some good business development groups. Get involved in that and uh, furthering your education as an owner. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. If, if, if anyone is interested in reaching back out to you, what would be the best way to possibly reach you? You know, I'm uh, I'm pretty easy. So I'm going to give you uh, my, my cell phone number. Honestly, for a text message is honestly just the best. And I'm, I'll almost always respond. It's uh, 360-798-8998. That's 360-798. 798-8998 or my email is Tommy T-O-M-M-Y dot Gainer G-A-Y-N-O-R at Sun S-U-N dot auto. Perfect. Well thank you so much for your time today, Tommy. Um I'm yeah. sure people will find this uh, very valuable and intense information and I'm sure people probably will reach out asking asking some more questions and yeah, anytime love to help experience. So Again, thank you for your time and uh, looking forward to speaking with you again soon. Yeah, take care, Kelsey.